Somebody ought to lift your voice right now and declare, I have no reason to fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Somebody shout yes. Oh, put your hands together one more time and give God a praise in this house. Woo, high five about eight people on the way to your seat. Tell them I have no reason to fear. No, 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 y'all ain't doing it right. You got to tell them I have no reason to fear. Woo. Anybody thankful for God's keeping hand upon your life? Amen. You can be seated for just a few moments this morning. I want to take a brief moment to again say welcome to all of our guests and our visitors that are here in the house of the Lord this morning. Would you help me one more time, Rock Church? Put your hands together and help me make some noise for all of our guests uh, that are in the house of the Lord. That's it. We ought to give them a standing ovation. We are so, so delighted to have you here in the house of the Lord with us. And uh, it is our honor that you came to spend your Sunday morning in the house of the Lord and worship with us today. We have a little saying in this church that you are only a guest for the first five minutes that you come through the door. After that, you're just part of the family. Amen, Rock Church? So I just want to tell you this morning, welcome home. Welcome home. Would you help me just turn to somebody on your right, somebody on your left, somebody in front of you, and just tell them welcome home this morning. Come on, I need your help. I can't reach everybody. Don't leave anybody untouched. Tell them welcome home. Welcome home. Amen. Hallelujah. So good to see all of the saints of the Lord in the house this morning. If you are a first-time guest here at the Rock Church, when you came through the door this morning, you should have received a VIP invitation card. And if you're here this morning for the first time and you did not receive one of those cards, if you would just raise your hand very quickly, we will make sure and get one to you immediately. Amen. I see one hand right here from a lady in the back that needs a card. Make sure she gets one. Amen. But we want to invite you immediately following the service this morning. We have a room prepared with some light refreshments and we have a small gift that we'd like to give you just as a token of our appreciation for having you in the house of the Lord with us. And we want to get a chance just to get to know you a little bit. And so as soon as we dismiss the service, if you go into the lobby, you're going to see a red carpet. And if you'll just go to that red carpet, there'll be somebody there to meet you and escort you into the VIP room. We cannot wait to meet you. Amen? Hallelujah. I'm grateful for what God's doing in this house. This week, we've had several people baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, yes. And then this morning before we even started service, Gurleen was baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. Where's she at? I know she's here. Hallelujah. She's here in the building. We are so grateful for what the Lord is doing in her life 
And uh, as revival continues, we are just so amazed. Anybody excited about impact? It is going to be absolutely incredible. I'm just telling you, make plans to get off work early and get here early because it's going to be hard to find a seat in this house. We sold out uh, last week. We sold out our first hotel completely and had to open up a second hotel to accommodate all of the requests. Amen. We have confirmed uh, I think we're approaching, or maybe we've surpassed, I haven't got the latest update this morning, 25 states, at least half, I believe, of the states in this country will be represented right here at the conference and counting. Amen. We are officially transitioning from a national youth conference to an international youth conference. We've got saints of God coming all the way from Haiti that'll be in the building with us. We've got folks coming from Laos that'll be in the building with us. I got a message of two people that are coming all the way from the Philippines to be with us in the conference. And uh, we're so excited about what God's going to be doing. Make sure you get here early. It's going to be uh, I guess the way they say it now is lit. It's going to be, tell your neighbor, it's going to be lit. Lit. If you don't know what that means, just ask your kids when you get home. Amen. But I'm excited about what the Lord is doing and uh, looking forward to that. It is a, an absolute honor and, and, and pleasure of us uh, for us to have with us this morning all the way from Memphis, Tennessee, Pastor Julio May in service with us today. Would y'all help me honor this great man of God this morning? Amen. 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 And uh, he pastors an absolutely incredible, I mean incredible, it reminds me of home. It reminds me of here, an incredible revival church in the city of Memphis, Tabernaculo de Vida Cristiana. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, the Tabernacle of Christian Life. For those of you who are Christian Life Tabernacle, I guess is how you would translate that in English. And uh, I love this man and his precious family and have had the privilege in honor of preaching for them in their uh, local church services and, and had the honor of preaching one of their conferences this past year. Pastor May came and visited with us last year for Impact, and uh, he called me up several weeks ago and said, listen, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm taking a little, uh, a little sabbatical break, and uh, I needed a place that I could go and just plug in, get charged up, would you mind if I just came and hung out with y'all for a couple weeks before the conference? His family's coming to the conference. I think he's got a whole group from Memphis coming to the conference. And uh, we're just honored that he came. Uh, we're, we're giving him a little bit of time off this week from the pulpit. Because normally we would have just snatched him right up. 
but he's going to be, he has consented to preach for us next weekend, and we're looking forward to that tremendous, uh, tremendous weekend. But I want him to come this morning and just greet this congregation. Would you help me one more time? Put your hands together and welcome Pastor Julio May to this pulpit this morning. I love you, friend. ¿Cuántos dan gloria al Señor Jesucristo? I'm going to say praise the Lord. Hay una escritura que me llama mucho la atención. There's a scripture that really calls my attention. Y dice, yo me alegré con los que me decían, a la casa de Jehová iremos. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Y lo que me emociona de esa escritura, what excites me about that verse, es de que hay dos grupos que están emocionados de llegar a la casa de Dios. There are two groups that are excited about coming to the house of the Lord. Yo me alegré con los que me decían. I was glad when they said unto me. Now in English it doesn't quite say it the same way it says in the heavenly language. In Spanish. No, that's a joke. <laughs> But, but what it says, it says, I was glad. It says, I was glad with those who said unto me. Yo me alegré con los que me decían. In other words, the people that said, let's go to church. Aquellos que me invitaron a llegar a la iglesia, they were excited about church. Ellos estaban emocionados acerca de la casa de Dios. They said, you got to come to church. Tiene que llegar a la iglesia because God has a blessing for you. Porque Dios tiene una bendición para ti. God wants to give you a word. Dios te quiere dar una palabra. God wants to raise you up. Dios te quiere levantar. God wants to heal you. Dios te quiere sanar. God wants to deliver you. Dios te quiere librar. I was glad when they said unto me, yo me alegré con los que me decían, let us go to the house of the Lord. A la casa de Jehová. Iremos. My God, somebody that's excited to be here, give him a praise. Somebody that's glad to be in the house of the Lord, give him a praise this morning. Woo! My God, he could have just kept on going right there. Woo! My God. I don't know about you. I got happy just, just them telling me we were going to church. Uh, I got excited. You know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all tell your kids. Now, tomorrow we're going to Disney World. For 24 hours, we're going to Disney World. We're going to Disney World. Going to Di and you can't come. Ain't even got there yet and they're excited. That's how I feel about the house uh, of the Lord. Come Saturday afternoon, uh, I start getting excited. Uh, I start getting giddy uh, because I'm getting ready uh, to go into the place uh, of the miraculous. Uh, I'm going to step into the place uh, of anointing. Uh, I'm about to go uh, into the house uh, of blessing. Woo! My God, my God, I'm grateful to be here this morning. Grab your Bibles. I want to hasten <clears throat> to the word of the Lord today. Uh, if you'll go with me to the book of Luke chapter 
number 22. Capítulo 22. Aleluya. Verso 32, 31. ¿Están bien? Aleluya. Don't let my last name fool you. I was raised in a Latino home. My mom's first language was Spanish. My grandparents barely spoke English. Amen. I know what the chancla is. Amen. You know if you you was raised in a Latino home, you know what the chancla is. <laughs> For those of you who, uh, who are wondering, what, what is a chancla? What is a chancla? The best way to describe it, it's kind of like the slide sandals, you know. But mama could take that thing and it was a weapon of mass destruction. And uh, she didn't need anything else. When it was time to go, she just reached down and grabbed, I mean, quit like a, like an old west cowboy quick draw. My mom could throw that chancla with an accuracy all the way up to 100 yards. I didn't understand it. I would duck in the hall, out of the hallway into the bedroom, and she put a spin like a baseball pitcher on that thing, and it would go down the hall, turn the corner, and how does she do that? How does she do that? Amen. Oh, Jesus, help me. Lord, I'm supposed to be preaching, God, not doing stand-up comedy. Okay. Luke chapter number 22, I want to read, beginning in verse... Number 31. Verse number 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you. This morning they sang, you can't have my family. They sang, you can't have my increase. They sang, you can't have my breakthrough. And if I was Simon, I would have responded like this. And this is my subject this morning. Satan, you can't have me. I wish somebody would make that declaration uh, all across this sanctuary this morning. Uh, Satan, uh, you uh, can't uh, have me. Uh, uh, you can't have my family. Uh, you can't have my blessing. Uh, you can't have my breakthrough. Uh, you uh, can't uh, have me. Somebody put your hands together one more time and give God a praise uh, all over this sanctuary today. 
My God, I feel the Holy Ghost so strong in this place. You may be seated. If you were to do a survey and go through the Old and the New Testament and collect a list of what we might call the most valuable players of the Bible, the MVPs of Scripture, there is no doubt in my mind that on that list would be the Apostle Peter. As a matter of fact, every time we quote Acts 2 and 38, we rehearse his name. Then Peter said unto them, am I in the right church this morning? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter declared that. It was Peter at the inquisition of Jesus to his disciples when he asked the question, whom do men say that I the son of men am? Some of the disciples answered and said, Some say thou art Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But it was Peter that stood up in the midst of his brethren and said, I know who you are. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was Peter that had the revelation of who Jesus was. It was Peter who was commended by Jesus for his spiritual perspicuity when he said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. It was Peter that Jesus looked at him and said, Upon this rock. Coincidentally, the name Peter comes from the word Petra, which means a rock. Upon this Rock, his namesake, is the foundation of the revelation of who Jesus is. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Every time you say the name Peter, it is a reminder of the promise and the predestined victory of God's church. It was Peter whom Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you bind on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It was Peter. was Peter. And this scripture 
is situated uniquely in a portion of text that we are familiar with. Jesus has just sat with his disciples for the very last time at what we uh, know colloquially as the Last Supper. And as he is finishing his uh, dissertation to them um, concerning uh, servanthood and his example in foot washing uh, and communion, um, the Bible says that he pulls Peter off uh, to the side uh, and he begins to talk uh, to Peter. It is here that we find uh, this dialogue in which we have read our text this morning uh, when the Lord looks uh, at Peter uh, and he says, Simon, uh, Simon. Now it is notable to, uh, to, to take uh, uh, note that he calls him twice uh, by name. Uh, this isn't very common in scripture, uh, but wherever you find God calling the name uh, of someone twice, uh, Moses, uh, Moses, uh, Abraham, uh, Abraham, uh, Simon, uh, Simon, it is because uh, whatever God is about to say, uh, he wants to make sure, uh, Simon, uh, I need your full uh, attention right now. Uh, Simon, uh, I don't want you to just pass over uh, what I'm about to tell you. Uh, I don't want you to casually receive uh, what I'm about to say. Uh, don't get distracted uh, in the moment uh, and miss the word uh, that this isn't for the other 12. Uh, Simon, uh, this word uh, is for uh, you. Uh, and I feel like telling somebody in the building, uh, don't you dare sit there this morning uh, and miss uh, a word from God uh, that God has uh, for you. Uh, this isn't for your neighbor. Uh, this isn't for your mama. Uh, this isn't for somebody else. Uh, don't be distracted uh, by what's going on around you. Uh, I feel like telling somebody uh, in the Holy Ghost, uh, God wants uh, to speak uh, to you uh, this morning. Simon. Simon. Satan hath desired to have you. Now this reminds me of another time in which there is a conversation between heaven and hell concerning one of God's generals. You will remember that the scripture tells us that it was a day when the sons of men came before the Lord. And the Bible said that Satan came also. And the Lord asked him, from whence comest thou? He said, from going to and fro in the earth. And the Lord said, hast thou considered? Uh, my servant uh, Job, listen to the testimony that there is none like him uh, in all of the earth, uh, one that fears God uh, and eschews uh, evil. Uh, and you know the story, Satan uh, responds to God and says he serves you uh, for naught. Yea, all that a man have will he give us. He, he begins to tell God, the only reason uh, that Job lives for you uh, is because you've blessed him. The only reason he serves you, uh, look at the job you gave him. 
Look at the house he lives in. Look at the family he's blessed with. Look at all of the stuff that you've put in his life. But yea, I tell you, if you would just let me put my hand on all of his stuff, he'll curse you to your face. There was a question concerning the integrity of Job's relationship with God. And there was a question concerning the righteous judgment of God and his blessing over Job's life. And so God said, all right, I'm going to open the door and I'm going to let you at everything that he has. You can mess with his house. You can fool with his family. You can take all of his money. Uh, you can get it all of his stuff. Uh, just don't take uh, his life. Uh, and so uh, Job has no idea uh, that all of this is going on, uh, but all hell begins to break loose uh, in Job's life uh, while he's trying to serve God, uh, while he's being faithful to God, uh, while he's doing his best. Uh, everything starts falling apart, uh, and the entire time uh, he has no idea uh, that God needed somebody uh, that he could trust uh, with trouble. Uh, God needed somebody uh, that he could trust uh, with his reputation. Uh, he needed somebody uh, that he knew uh, when the going gets tough, uh, they're not going to backslide. Uh, when everything falls apart, uh, they're not going to get angry. Uh, when everything falls apart, uh, they're not going to get bitter. Uh, when they lose all their stuff, uh, they're not going to question me. Has it ever occurred to you uh, that maybe sometimes uh, the reason uh, you're going through what you're going through uh, really has nothing to do uh, with you at all. Uh, but God needed somebody uh, that he could trust uh, with his power uh, and trust uh, with trouble. Woo! I just feel like preaching this. Uh, while Job's going through, uh, he has no idea uh, that over the portals, the balcony uh, of the heavenlies, uh, you have all of the angelic host uh, looking at his response, uh, and you have all of hell uh, that has cast their lots against him. Uh, I'm telling somebody uh, that while you're going through, uh, all of heaven uh, and all of hell is watching uh, your response, uh, and hell uh, has bet everything it's got uh, against you. Uh, but there's a God in heaven uh, that said, I believe uh, they're going to make it. Uh, I believe uh, they'll keep standing. Uh, I believe uh, they'll keep doing what's right. Uh, I believe uh, they'll remain faithful to me. Amen. When you get to the end of the book, Job never does know. God never shows him what it was all about. But in this case, somehow, Jesus has discerned the intention of the enemy against Peter. And he comes to Peter to tell him squarely, Peter, Satan hath desired to have you. Now something interesting, if you study 
etymologically the word you and you break it down all the way to its root, it is a little bit of a, uh, almost a mistranslation because in the King James and the English, most references have it as a singular word. But it is actually a plural rendering of the word. It is not just that Satan desires to have you. It is a reference to all of the disciples. Satan has a desire to have all of you. And Peter, uh, he desires uh, to sift you uh, as uh, we, there is a question, Peter, uh, concerning your integrity. Uh, Peter, I know uh, that you are the one that got up with revelation. Uh, you are the one that got up uh, and had all of this wisdom from above. Uh, but Peter, uh, there is a question mark from hell uh, that says you're not the real thing. Uh, that says you're not authentic. Uh, that says you're just playing uh, the part. Heart. Uh, can I just stop here long enough uh, to preach to somebody? Uh, did you really think uh, that you could have the anointing uh, without the process uh, of certification? Uh, did you really think uh, that you can carry God's glory uh, without God ever testing uh, whether or not you're real? Uh, did you ever really think uh, that you could be anointed uh, and that God would never prove uh, the authenticity uh, of your anointing and your call? Satan hath desired to have you and to sift you as we. What does that mean, preacher? If you begin to study agriculture in Scripture, you understand that, that agriculture is a common uh, a, a nomenclature that is used in Scripture to convey principles of the kingdom to us. Uh, he uses the ideas concerning uh, agriculture. One place the Bible says uh, that one man plants, uh, another man uh, waters, uh, and it is God that gives uh, the increase. And over and over again, uh, there is the idea of agriculture. Uh, but when you begin to study and reference agriculture in Scripture, you will find uh, that there is a process uh, of agriculture uh, where the farmer uh, plants the seed uh, and he waters the fields uh, and he tills the fields uh, and when it comes time uh, for harvest uh, he, he understands uh, the Bible says uh, that the wheat uh, and the tares uh, come up together. And if you go home and study it, you will find uh, that the wheat and the tares uh, look almost exactly uh, alike. Uh, to, to the normal eye, uh, you almost cannot separate the two. Uh, and certainly in a field uh, of wheat and tares, uh, it becomes almost impossible. Uh, and so the farmer uh, understands uh, that not everything that I've planted, uh, not everything that comes up out of the ground uh, is the real thing. Not everything uh, that grows up in this field uh, is authentic. Woo. They shared the same soil. Uh, they enjoyed the same sunshine. Uh, the same water uh, was given. Uh, but not everything uh, that came up out of the ground uh, is the real thing. Uh, they look the same. Uh, they call oh, us. Anybody with me this morning? Uh, they look the same. Uh, they sound the same. Uh, and to the naked eye uh, of the human being, uh, you may not even be able uh, to tell them apart. There is a process by which the harvester 
takes everything that has come up uh, out of the ground. The wheat and the tares are harvested together. And they take that harvest and they put it on what is known as the threshing floor. And when that wheat and tear is on the threshing floor, it all looks like the same thing. But then somebody grabs what is called a winnowing fork. And they put that winnowing fork uh, into what has been harvested. Uh, and they toss it into the air. Uh, and when they put it into the air, uh, there is somebody else uh, that has a big fan uh, in their hand. Uh, and they're blowing with the fan. Uh, and what happens uh, is that the difference between the wheat and the tare uh, is that the wheat uh, has a weightiness to it. Uh, there is a weight to the wheat uh, that the tares do not have. Uh, and so when they throw Throw them both up together uh, and the wind hits them both. Uh, the wheat uh, falls right back down to the ground uh, and the tares uh, are blown to the side uh, and they are separated. Uh, can I tell you uh, that there is always a process uh, of authentication uh, that God has uh, by which he separates uh, that which is authentic uh, from that which is not authentic. Uh, there is always a process uh, by which God is going to find out uh, if what came out of the ground is the real thing or is it just a terror? My God. You see, as a pastor, I am a gatherer. It's part of my nature. When I plant and I water, I pray and I labor. And those things start coming out of the ground. I want to believe that everything coming out of the ground is the real thing. I don't want to lose any of it. I don't want to lose any. I want all of it to be part of the harvest. I want all of it to be the real thing. But you hear me. There is a process that is unavoidable because the Bible talks about the Lord stepping onto the threshing floor and he has his fan in his hand. There are two things as a pastor that I dread almost more than anything else. Number one is when God steps on the threshing floor with his fan in his hand. And I watch as the wind blows and God tosses up everything and the wind blows and some of what I thought was real is driven by the wind, is blown to the side, is cut off. When God steps on the threshing floor, there's nothing you can do about it. You can pray uh, against Satan. You can pray uh, against your flesh. But when God's doing it, uh, all you can do uh, is stand to the side uh, and just pray. Uh, there's, there are times uh, when I watch the wind uh, of God's fan begin to blow. Uh, and I watch people uh, and I begin to say, God, no, uh, not them. And God said, you step out of the way. Uh, I am praying. 
proving what is real and what is not real. I have let them grow up in the same environment. I have let them share the same soil and nutrients. I have let them receive the same care. But there comes a time when my law of harvest must be justified and I must prove that thing that has come out of the ground, whether or not it is real fruit. The second thing I dread is when God gives Satan permission take the fan in his hand. Go ahead. Blow against Job. We're going to find out everything in his environment that's real. Simon! Satan hath desired to have you and to sift you as wheat. Satan has made the allegation that you're not the real thing. Satan believes that you don't love me like you say you do. Satan believes that given the right circumstance and the right scenarios that you'll walk away. And Simon, he said, I... I've prayed for you. You see, it's something when Jesus says, I'm praying for you. I appreciate uh, when Sister Donnelly uh, prays for me. Um, and I appreciate uh, when Brother Michael uh, is praying for me. Uh, and I appreciate uh, when Sister Rebecca uh, is praying for me. Uh, but there's something else altogether uh, when I know that God uh, is praying uh, for me. Uh, people will get tired uh, of praying for you uh, when they don't see results. Uh, people, oh my God, uh, people will take you off their prayer list. Uh, after they get frustrated enough, uh, but it's something else altogether uh, when God says uh, that I'm praying uh, for you uh, so you can forget me uh, if you want to. Uh, you can put me in a room uh, and shut the door uh, if you want to, uh, but God knows uh, my name. I'm praying for you. But he's not praying for him the way that we would pray for him. Because if I was praying, what did you say? Satan's coming after Simon? Okay, let's pray. Our prayers would sound like this. Lord, we come against every evil work. God, we come against the enemy. 
Lord, we come against every attack of Satan. Can I get a witness in the building? Lord, I pray for Simon that he can withstand the devil. Lord, I pray you said no weapon formed against me shall be able to. Lord, I come against I rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus. That's not what Jesus prayed. Jesus said, I'm not praying that you'll be healed of cancer. I'm not praying that your money will get better than what it is. I'm not praying that you don't lose the house. I'm not praying that they don't take your car away from you. I'm not praying uh, that all this stuff uh, goes away. Uh, I'm praying uh, that your faith uh, fails uh, not. Uh, my God, I feel like preaching. Uh, your house uh, can be burnt to the ground, uh, but if you got your faith, uh, you can make it through. Uh, they can take all the cars uh, out of your driveway, uh, but if you got your faith, uh, you can make it uh, through. Uh, you might be hooked up uh, to an oxygen tank uh, and an IV in your arm, uh, but if you got faith, uh, you can make it uh, through. Uh, who am I preaching to this morning? Uh, God cares more about your faith uh, than he does your money. Uh, he cares more about your faith uh, than he does all your finances. Who am I preaching to? You lose your house, you can get another one. My God, I feel like preaching. The house doesn't make me. I made the house. And if I bought one, baby, I'll work hard and buy another. Who am I preaching to? That car doesn't make me. Somewhere we got to divorce ourselves from symbols of success and redefine what real success is in our life. They can come get that car. I know you think Mercedes is a prestigious name, but my name's worth more than all of those things. for you that your faith Peter I'm not praying against Satan he's coming he's coming for you and I'm not praying that he stops he's coming and I'm not praying that he makes a mistake and picks the, another person he's coming for you Peter and my prayer is that your faith fails not. Now, the problem here is that most of us equate the idea of faith with an inability to fail. I got faith 
I'll never fall. Can I submit to you something? Just a few verses later, Jesus tells Peter, before the cock crows three times, you're going to fail. You're going to deny me three times. Now, this don't make no sense. God, if you know I'm going to fail, why are you praying for my faith? God knew when he was going to fail and how he was going to fail. And yet God said, I'm praying that your faith fail not. Can I submit to you that Satan having you has more to do with what you do after a failure and not the failure itself. God, I wish I had some honest people in the building. I said Satan having you has more to do with what you do after you fail than it does the failure itself. I came to tell somebody God knew the mistakes you were going to make. God knew the trouble you were going to get yourself into. God knew the trap that the enemy laid for you. God knows your frame uh, that you are just dust uh, and yet God prayed uh, that your faith uh, fail not listen there is somebody else that God knew was going to fail he stands before his disciples and he said I have chosen this book of John he said, I have chosen 12 of you, and one of you is a devil. Huh. He knew. He knew before he picked him. In another place, he said, friend, whatever you do, do it quickly. God knew. God knew Peter was going to fail. I came to preach to somebody in this building that your weakness doesn't intimidate God. Your proclivities don't challenge your God. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. And he knew the road you would take before you ever walked down that road. And your failure does not scare your God. Your faith is not predicated on the failures of your life. The Bible said that a righteous man falls seven times. But his faith says that every time he falls, he gets back up again. That's what you need faith for. You don't need faith to stop your failure. You need faith to recover you when you fall. It's not a matter of if. It's when you make a mistake. It's when you fall short. I just wish I had a hundred honest people in the building. 
I just wish I had a hundred honest uh, people in the building uh, that weren't ashamed to say I've messed up, uh, I have failed, uh, I have fallen short, uh, I have disappointed God, uh, I have disappointed people. Uh, you better hear me. Uh, that didn't stop Jesus uh, from praying uh, for Peter. Uh, Peter, uh, I'm still praying for you. Uh, I know you're going to fall. Uh, I know you're going to mess up. Uh, I know you're going to make a mistake. Uh, what I want to know uh, is what are you going to do when you fall? That's where your faith comes into play. You see, we like to quote all of the time, the book of Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. My faith is what, and we often relegate that to a new convert uh, when the Bible never gives it that distinction. Uh, my Bible says uh, that I must come boldly uh, before the throne of grace uh, in the time of trouble uh, that I may receive uh, mercy. It takes faith uh, to go to an altar uh, and say, Lord, uh, I messed up. Uh, God, I failed. Uh, God, I can't. Come on, who am I? I'm going to preach uh, till somebody gets out of their pew this morning. Uh, I'm going to preach uh, until the chains uh, that are shackled around your ankles uh, are broken this morning. Uh, somewhere you got to reach down uh, and grab a hold of some faith uh, that says, God, uh, I know I came short and I messed up, uh, but I'm coming to you again, God. Uh, I'm coming to an altar. Uh, Satan, uh, you uh, can't uh, have me. Uh, I know I failed, uh, but you can't have me. Uh, I I know I made a mistake, uh, but you, I wish I had a witness uh, in the building. Uh, I got off the road, uh, but I refused to let Satan uh, keep me. Uh, I made a mistake, uh, but I refused uh, to let Satan. Uh, I'm preaching to people in this building who have fallen short. And it is now that Satan is making a play for your soul. All of hell is betting against you. I'm sifting them as wheat. You see, God, I told you they weren't real. You remember them shouting all up in the altars about being apostolic? Look at them now. You remember all those tears they cried in the altar, God? They were just crocodile tears. Uh, look at them now. Uh, all of hell is betting against you. Uh, but there's somebody in this building uh, that had better stand up uh, in the midst of your failure uh, and say, Satan, uh, you uh, can't uh, have me. Uh, I refuse to quit. Uh, I refuse to backslide. Uh, I refuse to quit praying. Uh, I refuse uh, to quit going going to church. I, I refuse. <laughs> What's the difference? I'll show you the difference. Second Corinthians chapter 10, chapter 7, verse number 10 says that godly sorrow 
worketh repentance. When somebody is authentic, it doesn't negate failure from their life. But when they fail, there's something inside of them that has a sorrow that says, I got to repent. I got to get this right. Oh, come on. What defines your righteousness is not your dress dragging on the floor, is not your tie around your neck, but it's your disposition to God concerning your shortcomings and your failures. God wants to know when you get into trouble, do you still love me? When you get into trouble, do you run to an altar and make things right? When you get into trouble, are you quick? to turn. God knew Peter was going to fail. God knew Judas was going to fail. But here's the difference. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. That word repentance is the word metanoia. In the original Greek, it's the word metanoia, which means to be sorrowful for something and for your sorrow to be attached to correlating actions. It's not just feeling sorry. It's not just saying sorry, but it's the act of your sorrow causing you to turn around and stop and walk the other direction. If you know the Bible says that Judas repented. Read your Bible. The book of Matthew chapter 27 verse number 3 says that Judas repented himself. But the word repented in Matthew 27 and 3 is different than the word repented in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse number 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse number 10. Godly sorrow works metanoia. But in this verse, you look it up when you get home. It says that Judas metamila machai. It's a different kind of repentance. Second Corinthians chapter seven goes on to say that not only is there godly sorrow, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. was the difference between Judas and Peter. We make a big deal about Judas selling God out. That was one failure. But Peter had three. Peter cussed everybody out and denounced that he even knew Jesus. What was the difference? Peter, I'm praying that your faith fails you. When Judas realized what had happened, he didn't have godly sorrow. He had worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow will cause you to run to the money changers instead of running to Jesus. 
When Judas had an opportunity to repent, uh, he should have ran uh, straight to the foot of the cross uh, and said, Lord, I've sinned against you. Uh, would you forgive me? Uh, his concern uh, was not being right with God. Uh, his concern was the illegal transaction uh, that he had just committed uh, with the money changers. Uh, so he ran to the high priest uh, and tried to get a refund on his transaction, but there are no refunds uh, for sin. He was worried about getting caught with his name on a most wanted poster. Music come when you read about Peter. I feel the Holy Ghost. Peter got discouraged. I know, I know it, it looked like he was mad at Jesus. It looked like he was mad at the other disciples. But can I just tell you, he was disappointed in himself. You remember he told God, I'll never do that to you. I'll never, I'll never do that. And now, look at him. And as he's standing on that boat in the Sea of Tiberias, hears a voice from the shore. Simon Peter! Have you caught any fish? Cast your net on the other side. All of a sudden, Peter says, I know that voice. I recognize that voice. And here's the difference. When he heard the voice, he responded by running to the voice. The difference is there are people in this room right now that as the voice of God begins to call your name, you're going to run to the altar. He recognized, oh my God, it's him. And all of a sudden, he understood if there was ever a chance for me to repent, it's right here and it's right now. And the Bible said that Peter jumped out of the boat. He, could, he wasn't going to wait for everybody else to recognize whose voice it was. He wasn't even going to wait for the ship to make it to the shore. Uh, he said, I don't care what anybody else does. Uh, I don't care how long you wait. Uh, I've got to get it right uh, with God uh, right now. Uh, and he jumped out of the boat uh, and he swam to the shore. Peter, I prayed. We can stand all over this house. Peter, I've, I've prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail you. That when you make a mistake and you find yourself in trouble, that somewhere your faith can gather yourself up one more time and go to an altar of repentance where you begin to call on the name of the Lord. One more time. God, I know I'm not worthy, 
God, I know I don't deserve it. God, I know I told you that I, that I wasn't going to fall. God, I know the promises I made. God, I know the commitments that I made to you. And I know I stand here guilty. Come on, somebody doesn't need to wait for the altar call. You need to come running to the altar. God, I know I know what I told you. I know what I prayed to you. But Lord, here I am. I'm broken. I'm in trouble. I'm messed up, God. But I know that if I put myself into your hands that you can make me all over again God that you can put your hand on my brokenness and you can put all of the pieces back together come on somebody would you come and pray come on that's it these altars are already full but somebody just come on step out of your seat as an act toward God if that seat represents your boat would you just climb out of your seat uh, and come to an altar? Listen, listen, I'm going to preach something here. This altar, I want everybody to listen to me. This altar is your friend. I want to I preach to you that when you look at the example of the Old Testament tabernacle, there was an altar in the temple for a reason. God designated a particular place that you were to come and the sacrifice was to be killed. I'm going to tell you that there is a particular place in this church uh, that is designated uh, for us to bring our flesh uh, and our flesh uh, to be broken before God. And I understand God can reach you uh, wherever you're at, uh, but I'm telling us some of us have gotten too comfortable sitting in our seat during an altar call uh, and we've grown uh, we've grown cold uh, to the idea of walking down to the front uh, and coming to an altar. Why? Because our flesh doesn't want to die. Our sinful nature doesn't want to surrender. And this altar represents a complete surrender to God. And so I'm praying right now that somebody, as we lift our hands, that you will make the move to get out of your seat. Don't you pray in your seat. Not today. Not right now. Don't you bend over and bow over in your seat. You need to come to the altar. You need to come to the place of death. Uh, you need to come to the place uh, of dying out uh, and you need to lift up your hands uh, or fall on your face uh, in surrender uh, to your God this morning. Uh, come on. Uh, come on, Satan. Uh, you can't have me. Uh, somebody needs to declare that this morning. Uh, Satan, uh, you uh, can't uh, have me. Uh, come on. Uh, I know I messed up. Uh, I know I failed. Uh, but Satan, uh, you uh, can't uh, have me. Come on. Uh, come on. Uh, let those tears go. Uh, God knows your weakness. Uh, he knows your frailty. Uh, he knows your faults. Uh, he knew you were going to fall before you ever did. Uh, but yet he loves you. Uh, and he's praying for you. Uh, and he's praying for your faith. Uh, come on. Uh, uh, come on. Come on, call on his name. Call on his name. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Come on. Come on. Come on, somebody ought to lift their voice. Lord, I need you. Call, I need you. 
Somebody lift your voice. Somebody lift your voice. 